All right, let's settle in. Let's settle in. I want to get right to it. Uh, for those of you who are here for the first time, what we do, uh, what we engage in every weekday is is we engage in what we call the read and rant. Essentially, what we do is is we spend uh, 20 to 30 minutes every weekday morning reading the word with the intention of reading through the entire Bible. We're looking to get through the entire Bible, half a Netflix episode at a time. Um, if you just devote 20 to 30 minutes a day, you'll be surprised how much scripture you get through. And that's really um, the primary goal and intention for us is that we just want to continue to journey through the entire scripture. Because I believe that in reading the scripture in its totality, it will be profoundly transformative in your life. Profoundly transformative. It will empower you. It will guide you. It will lead you. And it will give you a proper perspective in how you ought to read some of the scriptures that you are very familiar with. There's some scriptures that are just read out of context simply because people don't read the totality of the scripture and the totality of the text. And so that's really my motivation, my primary motivation. We call this the read and rant because we spend 20 to 30 minutes reading and then we spend another 30 minutes to whatever time is allotted to us or afforded to us uh, for me to just reflect on the scripture i call it a rant so i i spend another 30 minutes ranting um and so uh and it's really and all i'm simply doing is and i call it a rant because i have nothing really prepared i have nothing planned um i have uh, no notes specifically on this at all except that Um, I just want to hear from God, hear what God has to say to us. And so this isn't a Bible study. Um, It's not necessarily a devotion either. This is a time of what I would call scriptural meditation, where we're just meditating on the word. We're meditating on the scripture. And I believe that if you can learn to do that, it will be profoundly impactful to your life. It'll be transformative for your life. It is the... I would argue the most important endeavor that any uh, believer can engage in. Uh, It's the most important endeavor for anyone who is growing in faith and growing in the grace. And so, um, and that's why we're here. That's what we're here to do. So if you can, we want, I want you to turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter uh, 14, Um, Deuteronomy chapter 14. And we're just going to continue to read through. We've read through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and now we're reading the fifth book of the Pentateuch, which is the book of Deuteronomy. And we're just going to see where the Lord leads. That's really it. We're going to see where the Lord leads. Um, and we're just trusting in God through this. And and so, um, and so, yeah, so go ahead and turn your Bibles there. Now, for those of you who are learning to just meditate on scripture, one of the I, I would say one of the most formative things you can do is to open your heart to hear from God in his word, not your mind, but to open your heart. And one of the ways to do that, to really be ministered to the heart through the reading of the text is to, um, to ask three questions. What is God revealing concerning himself? The second question is what is God revealing concerning people and then the third question that you're going to be asking is what is god revealing concerning me for you you'd ask that for yourself okay so what is god revealing concerning himself what is god revealing concerning people and then the third question that i want you to ask is what is god revealing concerning me i got nothing prepared we're just going to read and then we'll see where the lord takes us today okay so let me pray and let's get started father i thank you lord that you Lord, are present among us. Father, we have people from all over 
who are engaged with us in the word today, Father. I pray that you would give us clarity. Lord, speak to us, Lord, in this time. Lord, speak to each and every person who's here, um, everybody who's engaged in the scripture as we engage in it. Father, I just pray, Lord, that we wouldn't insert, Lord, our will and our mind and our thought into your text, but Lord, that you would insert your heart, your will, and your mind into our hearts. And I ask that you would do that for no other reason, but because you deserve all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Let's get right to it, family. Um, And I hope you guys are all with me here. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 14, I'll read from verse 1, and then we're just going to go and we're going to fire off. You are the children of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves, nor shave the front of your head for the dead. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. And God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. You shall not eat any detestable thing. These are the animals which you may eat. The ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roe deer, the wild goat, the mountain goat, the antelope and the mountain sheep. And you may eat every animal with cloven hooves, having the hoof split into two parts that choose the cud among the animals. Nevertheless, of those that chew the cud or have cloven hooves, you shall not eat. Such are these, the camel, the hare, the rock hyrax, for they chew the cud, but have not, but do not have cloven hooves. hooves sorry. They are unclean for you. Also, the swine is unclean for you because it, is, it has cloven hooves. Yet does not chew the cud. You shall not eat their flesh or touch their dead carcasses. These you may eat of all that are in the waters. You may eat all that have fins and scales. And whatever does not have fins and scales, you shall not eat. It is unclean to you. All clean birds you may eat. And these you shall not eat. The eagle, the vulture, the buzzard the red kite, the falcon, and the kite after its kinds, every raven after its kind, the ostrich, the short-eared owl, the seagull, and the hawk after their kinds, the little owl, the screech owl, the white owl, the jackdaw, the carrion vulture, the fisher owl, the stork, the heron, after its kind, and the hoopoe, and the bat. Also, every creeping thing that flies is unclean to you. They shall not be eaten. You may eat all clean birds. You shall not eat anything that dies of itself. You may give it to the alien who is within your gates, that he may eat of it, or you may sell it to a foreigner, for you are holy people to the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Random. Verse 22. You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the flesh produces year by year. You shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide. The tithe of your grain and your new wine and your new oil of the firstborn of your herds and your flocks that you may eat to fear, sorry, that that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. But if the journey is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe, or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, when the Lord your God has blessed you, 
then you shall exchange it for money. Take the money in your hand and go to a place which the Lord your God chooses. Hmm. And you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep, for wine or similar drink, for whatever your heart desires, you shall eat there before the Lord your God and you shall rejoice, you and your household. You shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gates, for he has no part nor inheritance with you. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of that year and shore it up within your gates. And the Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand, which you do. Chapter 15. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release of debts. It and and this is the form of the release. Every creditor who has lent anything to his neighbor shall release it. He shall not require it of his neighbor or his brother because it is called the Lord's release. Of a foreigner, you may require it, but you shall give up your claim to what is owed by your brother, except when there may be no poor among you. For the Lord will greatly bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance. Only if you carefully obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe with care all these commandments, which I commend you today for the Lord, your God will bless you just as he promised you. You shall lend to many nations and you shall not borrow. You shall reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over you. If there's any among you, a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land, which the Lord, your God is giving you. You shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Beware, lest there be wicked thought in your heart saying the seventh year of release is at hand and your eye be evil against your brother and give and you give him nothing. And he cry out to the Lord against you and it becomes a sin among you. You shall surely give to him. And your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. For the poor will never release, will will never cease from the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. Uh Oh, let's see. Let me see if I got the good. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman is sold to you and serves you six years, then the seventh year you shall let him go free from you and you shall send him away free from you and you shall let him go away empty handed. You shall supply him. You shall supply him liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor and from your wine press. From what, from what the Lord your God has blessed you with, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this thing today. And if it happens that he says to you, I will not go away from you because he loves you in your house, since he prospers with you, then you shall take an awl and thrust it through his ear to the door, and, you sh- and he shall be your servant forever. 
also to your female servant, you shall do likewise. It shall not seem hard to you when you send him away uh, free from you, for he has not been, sorry, for he has been worth a double hired servant in serving you six years, then the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. Verse 19, all the firstborn males that come from your herd and your flock, you shall sanctify to the Lord your God. You shall do no work with the firstborn in your herd, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. You, sh- you and your household shall eat it before the Lord your God year by year in the place which the Lord chooses. But if there's a defect in it, if it is lame or blind or has any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. You may eat it within your gates. The unclean and the clean person alike may eat of it as if it were a gazelle or a deer. Only you shall not eat its blood. You shall pour it on the ground like water. Chapter 16. Observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. Therefore, you shall sacrifice the Passover to the Lord your God from the flock and the herd in the place where the Lord chooses to put his name. You shall eat no unleavened bread. Sorry. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it. That is the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste. That you may remember the day in which you came out of the land of Egypt. All the days of your life. And no leaven shall be seen among you in all your territory for seven days. You shall, you, you shall any, sorry, nor shall, sorry. Let me do verse four again. And no leaven shall be seen among you in all your territory for seven days, nor shall any of the meat which you sacrificed the first day at the twilight remain overnight until morning. You may not sacrifice the Passover within any of your gates with the Lord, your, which the Lord your God gives you, but at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you shall sacrifice the Passover at twilight, at the going down of the sun, At the time you came out of Egypt, you shall roast and eat it in the place which the Lord your God chooses. In the morning, you shall turn and go to your tents. Six days, you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day, there shall be a sacred assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do no work on it. Verse nine, you shall count seven weeks for yourselves. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the grain. Then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a freewill offering in your hand, which you give to the Lord uh, your God, which you give as the Lord your God blesses you. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levi who is within your gates, the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are among you. At the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide, you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. Let me plug this in here. Beautiful. Verse 13, you shall observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days. Let me highlight this. You shall observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days when you have gathered from your threshing floor and from your winepress. 
You shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, and the Levite, the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates. Seven days you shall keep a sacred feast to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord chooses because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands so that you surely rejoice. Three times a year, your male servant shall appear before the Lord your God in a place which he chooses at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Tabernacles. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord your God, the blessing which the Lord your God has given you. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your gates, which the Lord your God gives you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, nor take a bribe, for a bribe binds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. You shall follow what is altogether just, that you may live and inherit the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not plant for yourself any tree as a wooden image near an altar, which you build for yourself to the Lord your God. You shall not set up a sacred pillar which the Lord your God hates. Deuteronomy 17. You shall not sacrifice the Lord your God, a bull or sheep, which has any blemish or defect, for that is an abomination to the Lord your God. If there is found among you within any of your gates, which the Lord your God gives you, a man or woman who has been wicked in the sight of the Lord and transgressing his covenant, who has gone and served other gods and worshiped them, either the sun, the moon, any of the hosts of heaven, which I have not commanded, and it is told you and you hear it, then you shall inquire diligently. And if it is indeed true and certain that such an abomination has been committed in Israel, you shall bring, bring them out to your gates, that, men and women who have, that the men and women who have committed that wicked thing, they shall be stoned to death, that man and that woman with stones." Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not put to death on the testimony of one witness. The hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death. <laughs> and afterward, the hands of all the people you shall put away from the evil among you. If a matter arises, which is too hard for you to judge between the degrees of guilt for bloodshed, between one judgment or another between one punishment or another matters of controversy within your gates. You shall go, sorry, you shall arise and go up to the place which the Lord your God chooses. And you shall come to the priests, the Levites, and to the judge there in those days and inquire of them. They shall pronounce upon you the sentence of judgment. You shall do according to the sentence which they pronounce upon you in that place which the Lord chooses. And you shall be careful to do according to all that they order you, according to the sentence of the law, which they instruct you, according to the judgment, which they tell you, you shall do. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Sorry, to the right hand or to the left from the sentence, which they pronounce you. Now, the man who acts presumptuously and will not heed the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord, your God or the judge, that man shall die. You sh you sh so you shall put away the evil from Israel and all the people shall hear and fear 
and no longer act presumptuously. Hmm. When you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like the nations that are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among the brethren you shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother, but he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away and shall be, and, and shall he greatly multiply silver and gold, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Also, it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one uh, from the one before the priests, the Levites. And he shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and to be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may turn aside from the commandment of the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. This is our last chapter for today. Chapter 18. The priests, the Levites, all the tribe of Levi shall have no part or inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire in his portion. Therefore, they shall have no inheritance among their brethren. The Lord is their inheritance, as he said to them. And this shall be the priest's due from the people, from those who offer a sacrifice where it is a bull or sheep. They shall give to the priest the shoulder, the cheeks, and the stomach. The first fruits of your grain and your new wine and your oil and the first of the fleece of your sheep you shall give them. For the Lord your God has chosen him out of your tribes to stand to minister in the name of the Lord and his sons forever. So if a Levite comes from any of your gates, from where he dwells among all Israel, and comes with all the desire of his mind to the place which the Lord chooses, that he may serve in the name of the Lord, as all his brethren the Levites do, who stand there before the Lord, they shall have equal portions to eat besides what comes from the side sale of his inheritance. Hmm. That's interesting. Verse nine. And when you come into the land, which the Lord, your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. You shall not be found among you. Anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire or one who practices witchcraft or uh, a soothsayer or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer or one who conjures spells or a medium or a spiritist or one who calls up the dead for all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord because of these abominations the Lord your God drives them out before you you shall be blameless before the Lord your God for these nations which you will dispossess listen to soothsayers and diviners but as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. Hmm. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. According 
to all you desire of the Lord your God in Horeb in the days of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see a great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. I'll raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I'll require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or he who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. <clears throat> We're going to stop right there. Um, Man, oh man, oh man, there's a lot here. Um, So good to see you, family. So good to see all of you. Um, I got a large group of you guys right now on, on TikTok. Got about 220 of you. So that's that's really cool. Um, I got a little community that's forming on IG and I've got my Facebook fam who's been here from the grind from the beginning uh, grinding out these scriptures. Um, this is not meant to be a study for experts or anything of that nature. This is primarily the, the primary intention of my time here with you guys is to empower you, uh, to encourage you to read the word because in reading the word it will lead to incredible transformation in your life simply just reading it the most important thing that we've done so far in our time here is what we just did which is just read the word i'm going to spend some time reflecting on the scripture because i want you to have a peek into how i reflect and think through uh not not think through text but meditate through text it's one thing to think and to spend time in the study of the word, which I, I love being a student of the word. But this isn't a Bible study more than it is a reflection. Sometimes you'll hear elements of Bible study in there because there's certain things that as I'm reflecting on, I want to be sure that we're all on the same page. And so I'll share some things that may sound more of a, I may take more of a teaching posture just to help you understand it. But I have been praying about it, family. Um, I've been praying about um, and really deliberating about uh, when I'll start including a Bible study into um, our schedule and our time. The reading rant's not going anywhere. We're going to stick with this and we're going to keep pressing into this. But I have been prayerfully considering possibly doing a maybe a weekly or biweekly Bible study where we just simply just study the scripture. Um, and I believe that's that's incredibly powerful as well. But what we want to do here today is, is I just simply want to share with you really where the Lord is leading me in some thoughts up to this point. I've said this from the beginning. I'll continue to say it again, especially for those who are here for the first time. You may fall. You may find yourself falling into a tendency to read this book as if it is written directly to you. You say that one more time. You may fall into the temptation of reading this as if this is a book that is written directly to you. So you write, you, you read it 
and you read the laws that are in it, you read all these precepts and you read these and then you you seek to now impose these things on yourself, which leads you now to lose touch with what God is actually trying to reveal in this text and in his word. These when you when you insert yourself into this and you make this about you, you fall into legalism. And in falling into legalism, you lose sight of actually what God's redemptive plan is for you. I find many Christians fall into this. The book, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. Um, the Pentateuch is often referred to as the Mosaic Law, the law written by Moses, revealed or inspired by God. This law that was written was not written to Christians. Let me make sure I emphasize that. The law was not written to Christians. When you read every element of this, all of it, I know this is going to sound real, it might make some people uncomfortable when they hear this, but all of it from Genesis all the way to the end of Deuteronomy was not written to Christians. Okay, then it wasn't written to you, but it was written for us to see the story of what God was accomplishing through a people that is these chosen people, the children of Israel, what you should be more postured in as you read this text is your posture should be one in which you're not looking to see what is God telling me to do, but rather you should be reading this in the posture of God. What are you revealing about your heart? Say that one more time. Often for many of us, we read this, seeking to hear what is God telling me to do? And so we lose sight of it. We don't get the story. We don't understand it. We, we misinterpret it when the way we ought to posture ourselves when we're reading this is God, what are you revealing about your heart? What are you revealing about your will? What are you revealing about your character? What are you revealing about your mind? What are you revealing about your person? What are you revealing about yourself? And this is why when we come in, we pray these things because what we're asking God is, God, what are you revealing about yourself? What are you revealing about people? And what are you revealing about me? These are the things that you should be asking. This is the way that you should actually be approaching the scripture. Okay. This is how you approach the scripture. Okay. Any other approach is going to lead to misinterpretation and will lead to legalistic thinking. Nothing here. Are, you should not read anything here as precepts or laws that you as a Christian need to follow. Okay. Rather, we, you should be reading this as a story of what God is accomplishing through the chosen people for all people. Say that again. You should be reading this as a story of what God is accomplishing for all people through these chosen people. God chose these people from Genesis all the way. That's what it is. That's the story from Genesis all the way to Deuteronomy. We see this story unfolding. And so there's a degree of separation. Okay. And you have to acknowledge that or else you're going to lose it. You're going to lose what God is actually trying, what not trying, but what God is actually revealing in this text from Genesis. Abraham was chosen by God by faith. Abraham was chosen to start a family. That family would bring righteousness and justice to the world because justice was lost at the garden 
when Adam chose his justice over God's justice. The word justice is the word sekeno. The word justice is the word sekeno in the Bible. And that, that word justice means righteousness. When you see righteousness, righteousness and justice were synonymous. Okay. We're the ones who separate righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice were synonymous with, with each other. They were both the same exact word. Okay. Righteousness and justice were both the same exact word. So he calls Abraham to, 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 to father a nation that would be the, that would father many nations. He would be the father of many nations and he would father these many nations through a family. And this family was uh, through the covenant through covenant was Isaac and from Isaac was Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel when he wrestled with God. That was all through Genesis. Israel has 12 sons and these 12 sons go to Egypt. It ends with that. These 12 sons, they go to Egypt. They spend too much time in Egypt, more time than they needed to. And by consequence, because they spent all that time in Egypt, they, uh, they fell under the oppression under under bondage in Egypt. And so uh, and so Exodus was about how they left. They get to Mount Sinai. That's Leviticus at Mount Sinai. Sorry, Exodus, they reintroduced the covenant that they made with God that came from Abraham. God was reintroducing this covenant with them. Abraham had made the covenant with them, but God reintroduced this covenant with them. Notice, not with us. Did you hear that? The covenant was not made with us. The covenant was made with them. He introduces this covenant with them. And what was the covenant? It was not to be a good people, but as a chosen people who God has set aside, they would be a people who would show the world what God is like. They were called to be a nation of priests. Priests are mediators. They're the ones who stand between God and man. And yet they were the ones who were called to be the mediators. But in order for them to be mediators, they had to live a different life. They had to live separate from that. And so because they had to live separate from that, then came the law. Then came the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Law. All these laws that were instituted, okay, all these laws that were instituted were instituted in order to shape them to become the nation of priests that would usher in the very presence of God on earth. Notice, it wasn't written to us. I know people get really uncomfortable. They go, well, the Ten Commandments says this, and this says that, and the, they were not written to you. Okay? They, were, they weren't written to you. We see the Mosaic Law, all these laws that we're reading, and that's why I wanted to make sure I made, made you guys aware of that. Because... All these laws were not written to you. They received these laws to be a nation of priests. And so, of course, they fail because the law does not um, the law does not make anyone righteous. No one's righteous through the law. And they reveal that because even though they were given the law, they still fail continually. So in Leviticus, the book of Leviticus was God's legal system for bringing them back into his presence because they were an illegal people. And yet he created a system to go back into his presence that even though they sinned against them, the law of the atonement, which is what was established in Leviticus, was established to bring them back into his presence. This is how God, in his love and his grace, takes a people who continue to mess up over and over again and allows them back into his presence because God is holy and righteous. And even though he's holy and righteous, 
He creates a methodology by which we can come back into his presence through a sacrifice administered by a priest. This is all a foreshadow of how God is going to bring all of humanity back into his presence, that it will be through a sacrifice and also a priest. Ready for this? Hint, hint. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the priest and Jesus Christ is also the sacrifice. And through the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ, by the administration of Jesus Christ, who is the priest that administers the sacrifice, we all now have been given access back into the presence of God, not because of our performance, not because we read our Bible, not because we did the Ten Commandments, not because we followed God's laws, simply because Jesus Christ died on the cross. His blood was payment for our sins. And so now we've been given access back into his presence. We've been given access back into his presence. So what God is doing here in Leviticus is God is preparing a law. He's giving insight into what he's looking to accomplish. It reveals to us God's love and his mercy towards us that even though these people, not us yet, but these people who were called failed over and over and over again. And God gave them a contingency for every time they failed. It's a blood sacrifice. And let that be an encouragement to you, family. Can I just take my time? Is that all right? I know I'm a little bit laid back, a little bit tired. It's been a really crazy weekend. Rue's been, Rue was uh, uh, eventful and there was just so much going on. So I'm a little bit laid back, but I just want to just, just want to spend some time just talk to you real quick. I want to talk to you real quick because um, many of us think that we can out mistake God. There are many of us here that think that we can out sin the grace of God. You cannot out sin the grace of God. God from the beginning gave them a method by which no matter how often they failed, there was a way for them to get back into the presence of God. Did you hear that? No matter how often they made mistakes, no matter how often they sinned, they had a way back into the presence of God. They brought a sacrifice. They brought a sacrifice every time they brought a sacrifice. You cannot out God's love. You cannot out God's grace. This is not about, and understand this, your walk with Jesus Christ is not about your compliance to his law. These people were called by God, it, even though they were called by God. Watch this now. It wasn't their ability to follow the law because they failed daily. They couldn't even follow the law that they were given to be the people that God called them to be. And yet God in Leviticus gave them and gave them the facility and the access by which they can come back into the presence of God. That's the privilege that these people had, that they had a priest. And as long as there was a priest and as long as there was a sacrifice, then they had access back into the presence of God. And so Leviticus ends with that. And so Leviticus begins with, even though they had the law, they didn't have the presence of God. Leviticus ends with them being in the presence of God, even though they continually sinned because God gave them a way back, the sacrifice. We call that the atonement. That's the word. It's called the atonement. I hope my boys are listening. I hope Ellison's listening. I hope Israel's listening. Because the atonement, those are my two sons, <laughs> because the atonement is the payment, the satisfactory payment for the sin that you commit. 
And as long as it's satisfactory, you don't have to go back and look back at it. Meaning, whatever sin you commit now, yesterday, in the future, there's a method to get back into the presence of God. This is not what it's about. Your, your life in Christ is not about your ability to not sin. <laughs> your life in Christ is about the freedom to be in the presence of God that gives you the power to overcome sin. Whole different paradigm. Whole different paradigm. I hope you're with me, fam. So Leviticus ends with that. In Numbers, they go on a road trip. They go on the road trip now to the promised land. They don't go into the promised land, even though it was promised to them. And the reason why they didn't go into the promised land was simply because, was simply because they didn't have faith. It was because of the lack of faith. They got there, saw themselves as grasshoppers, complained, wanted to go back to Egypt because that's what we do. When, we, when we're given the promise of God and the calling of God, out of fear, we'll see how small we are. And because we see how small we are, we don't step into where God calls us. Here's the thing, though. God's promises never return to him void. So if you're not going to step into it, your children will. And this is what we see in the text. The next generation now is being raised up. And now they're getting to, they got to the Jordan. And now that they're getting near the Jordan, near Mount Horeb, Moses is sharing with the, and that's numbers. Numbers ends with them going into Mount Horeb. I mean, sorry, about to cross the river Jordan. The next generation now is about to cross over. So what the book of Deuteronomy is, is the book of Deuteronomy is a, um, it's a speech. That's what it is. It's a speech. That's all it is. It's a speech reminding the new generation about the exploits and the mistakes of the prior generation. Because knowing the mistakes and the exploits of the generation before you allows you now to step into the context or into the calling that they were called into, learning from their mistakes and learning from their successes. And so we go through Deuteronomy. I'm sorry if it took me a while to get here, but I had to make sure I explain all that. Notice, none of this is about you. <laughs> but all of it had you in mind. This is about the children of Israel and what God is doing through them. Now watch this. When you read these laws, we've been reading now, we started at, um, we started at, I hope this was helpful to you, but we started at Deuteronomy uh, 14. We started at Deuteronomy 14 and you see, he says, you are the children of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves nor shave the front of your head for the dead, for you are holy people to the Lord. There's some of you, I just want to make sure. I'm, I'm, I'm helping you here. I'm trying to help you, okay? There's some of you who read that, you are the children of the Lord your God, you shall not, and you immediately go, I am a children. I am a child of God, and I shall not. That's not what it says. Back up. You're way too close to the text. This is not written to you. It's written to the children of Israel. You need to back up and listen and eavesdrop on a sermon that Moses is having with the children of Israel with the new generation. Don't insert yourself into this because the culture in the context of that time does not apply to the culture in the context of our time. You have to understand that when they cut themselves um, and they shaved the front of their head, notice what he says, they shaved the front of their head for the dead. So cutting themselves and shaving their head and the front of their head had nothing to do with 
does not relate in any way to why people shave the front of their heads today. Why people get lineups today. We get lineups and we shave the front of our heads and we do that. We do that for aesthetics. We do that because we find that it looks good. When they did it, they did it for worship. Notice the two differences. They did it to worship the dead. It was demonic worship. We do it because we like how the lineup looks. <laughs> you understand? And so we have to back away because it's not talking about us here. Okay? Are, are, you, are you hearing me? Well, we got to back away. So he says, for you, and then he explains to them, for you are holy people, the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself. Notice, he's saying, I've pulled you aside. I've called you to be separate. God was, remember, we, we talked about it. Uh, goodness gracious. We talked about this, um, was it, I think it was on Friday. We talked about why the worshiping of other gods and idols was so profound. I know you guys really got thrown off by what I was teaching, but I wanted to help you understand as well how the ancient Hebrews and how the ancient Israelites understood the realm of the spirit and understood God. And that's why God was not playing with them when he told them uh, God was not playing with how they worshiped other gods. When they do these things, they didn't do it for aesthetics and to look good. They did these things for the sake of worship. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people. So God is reminding them, I've chosen you all this time that we've been talking up to this point. We're all pointing to this. That's right. The Elohim of Elohim. Correct. We're pointing to this, right? That you are a pe- that you are to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all people who are on the face of the earth. He's saying, I've called you, I've set you aside. I've set you aside to be a people who live differently than everyone else. Why? Because remember what I said, again, you have to read, if you haven't read with me up to this point, that's fine. Go back, catch the other read and rants. It's on the font everywhere on Facebook. There's also a read and rant podcast. All these things that I do here, I record them and I post them later on. Um, but this particular reading rant is available right after on Facebook. So I encourage you to just go on there and check it out or check out the read and rant podcast because we are reading all the way through and you can catch up to this point. So I don't want to belabor it because I know some of you have been doing this for a while. Okay. You've been reading. So this may sound like this may sound repetitious to you, or maybe it's helpful to you that you hear the repetition of it, but it's important family. It's important that you understand this. Okay. That these people were set aside to bring the kingdom of God. I'm gonna make it real simple for you. These people were set aside. When they were a chosen people, they weren't chosen to have economic um, um, power. They weren't chosen. The podcast is available on Spotify. It's on Spotify and it's on Apple. So you can catch it on Apple and on Spotify. So so, so the, being chosen wasn't about military power. It wasn't about economic power. Being chosen wasn't about political power. I hope you guys get this because people are always talking about, well, who are the chosen people? And yet you got to really peek into their heart about what they're actually saying when they ask that. Well, who are the chosen people? What they're asking is who, who are the powers at force? Who are the ones who ought to have economic power? Who are the ones who ought to have political power? Who are the ones that ought to have the military power? That's what most people think. And yet God does not explain ruling this way. 
He says that the chosen people are the ones that have been called and set aside to be the nation of priests. And so the way they rule is the way Jesus is going to rule. We're going to get there eventually. But the way God's chosen people rule is through sacrifice, is through righteousness and justice. God, from the beginning, has been looking to restore his justice on earth. You understand that when we say that God's kingdom, let me back it up. I'm ranting. I know I'm ranting. Hopefully this is helpful. I know this might sound like it's all over the place, but I'm getting to a point here. The kingdom of God, okay? The kingdom of God speaks to a rule. If you say kingdom, then it's a government. If it's a government, then there is a law. If there is a law, what does that law look like? If there's a law, then there's a system by which people ought to live, how they ought to live with one another, how they ought to be, how they ought to administer and the consequences of not living in this way. Meaning when we say that God's kingdom come, remember God's story is not to pull us out of earth into some other place that's way better than earth. God's plan and his mission is to restore the earth, to bring heaven to earth. Okay. That's his plan. So if that's his plan, what God is actually doing is when his, when his government didn't rule because his government was supposed to be ruled through human beings. That's why he said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have the word is dominion. You know what the word dominion means? Rule. He wanted them to be the rulers who rule the earth according to his justice, according to his righteousness. So therefore, when we talk about the kingdom of God, if we want to know how God rules, we have to look in this text to see how God was asking his people to rule. He chose these people to show what his kingdom would look like. I hope that makes sense. And I hope I'm not confusing you. Okay. But he's doing this to show the people what his rule looks like. Y'all got that? Thumb. You can have my thumb. There it is. There it is. You can see my thumb. Boom. <laughs> okay. What his rule looks like. And so now Moses is now reminding the new generation in Deuteronomy about what God's rule looks like on earth. Notice, we're not talking about things you ought to do and not to do to go to, to go to heaven or hell. Have, has anybody seen heaven or hell yet? We haven't even seen that yet. Did y'all see that? Like you haven't even seen it yet. Good. I hope y'all catching that. Okay. To show what God's rule is like, how God wants to rule, how God will rule, not even wants to, how he will rule the earth. And he's doing it through these people. And through these people, we begin to read these laws. Now catching it. Through these people, we're beginning to read these laws. In, in Deuteronomy 14, he talks about the clean and unclean meat. He's giving them laws to set them apart. 
Notice what he tells them. Later on, we, we, we read early on where the purpose of the food loss was to be a daily reminder of their dependence on God. This is what he asked them to do because they needed that daily reminder. Why? Because they didn't have the presence of God. They needed a priest to intercede for them. So they need those daily reminders. Then in Deuteronomy 14, verse 22, it talks about the tithe. Now, for those of you who have all these questions about the tithes, long story short, the tithe that we read in, in most parts of the scripture pertain to the heart and the character of God, that we ought to set 10% aside. But when we read about tithing principles and the reasons for why they tithe, the reason why they tithe was for the sake of justice. The, the, the Hebrews were fundamentally a different people. So the Hebrews were fundamentally a different people. The Hebrews, the Israelites were fundamentally different from the rest of the world. And one of the ways that they were different is in how they obeyed these particular laws. Okay. These daily sacrifices and these laws, the tithing principle was literally the beginning of a welfare system. They didn't tithe so that the priests could be rich or they didn't tithe so that they would big build temp big temples. The tithe, the way we tithe today was not the tithe that we're talking about here in this text. And notice the law of the tithe wasn't given to you. It was given to them, but we'll get back to that because there's still a principle of the tithe, but the tithe notice they gave 10%, but the 10% that they gave was so they can live out the justice of God. They gave the 10% for those who were in need. 10% of the, um, um, the grain, the wine, the oil of the herd and the flock. They would give 10% of everything that they earned in response to the blessing. But notice why they gave it. In verse 23, you shall eat before the Lord your God in a place where he chooses to make his name abide. The tithe of your grain and your new wine, your new oil of the firstborn of your heads and flocks that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Tithing was the way they worshipped. Tithing is a form of worship. And he's teaching them that the first part of the tithe is it does something to you. We're learning about the heart of God, the character of God, and the heart of people. What God is revealing to them is when you tithe. You learn to fear the Lord. The word fear there is not fear as how we would make sure I, I, I emphasize that as well. Oh my gosh, it's already nine o'clock. When does this happen, family? Okay, I'll, I'll do, I'll, I'll go, I'll go another 10, 15 minutes. Wow. Time flies when you're having fun. Okay. Um, but I just want to help you. I hope this is helpful. I hope I'm not boring you, but I hope this is really helpful to you. But um, the tithe. Before it does anything to anyone else, the tithe does something to you. And in the tithe, what it's saying, what he's saying to them is when you tithe, you learn to fear the Lord your God always. All right. Let's back that up for a second. The word fear there in the text is the same word for revere. So it's not fear as in being scared of the Lord. They're not being scared of the Lord. The word fear there in the text is the better, the better translation would be revere the Lord, meaning you learn to worship the Lord when 
you tithe. Did you catch that? So often when we're asking ourselves, well, how do we worship? How do we? Well, you would know and learn to worship the Lord when you actually tithe. Notice now, are you is tithing about going to heaven or hell? Absolutely not. Do you understand that? Like people go, so am I supposed to tithe? Most people, what they ask is when they ask about tithing, they're asking, they're, they're, they're quite simply, simply asking, if I don't tithe, am I going to go to hell? <laughs> That's what most people are asking when they ask that. Because they've been taught, and it's bad teaching, they've been taught by their pastors or by their churches, if you don't tithe, if you don't bring your tithe to the storehouse, then you are going to go to hell. God's going to, you're going to pay for it. And so, again, what do people do? Out of fear, they give their 10% because they don't want to go to hell. That's bad teaching. Knowing the Bible doesn't say that. It's unbiblical. Okay? You don't go to hell because you don't tithe. Done. Okay? That's out. But there's also another form of teaching, which I think we need to be very, very careful about as well, which is the one that teaches that if you tithe, the Lord will bless you with more money. That's what we call a prosperity gospel, as if God blesses you because you give. Now, it is true that when you give, God gives to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. We hear that. Give and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. There's a blessing in it. But when it shall be given unto you, pressed down, running together, um, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it may not be money. Did you catch that? What God gives to you, it may not be money. It may not be, you know, well, I get, I tithe my 10% to God, so now I'm waiting for my million. What if what God is pressing down, shaking together and running over is joy in your marriage? What if what God is pressing down, shaking together, running over is peace in your life? What if what God is doing when he's pressing down, shaking together, running over is bringing peace? a sense of purpose back to your life. These are all things that God can do and he does through your giving. So no, you do not give to go to heaven or hell. No, but there's a blessing in it. There's a blessing in giving and he's showing you the principle of the blessing of giving. Notice what he tells the children of Israel. This is why we separate ourselves. You see that? Because once we separate ourselves, we learn what God is telling them. We learn how it applies to us because what God tells them can apply to us as well. He says to them that you will learn to fear the Lord, meaning you'll learn to revere the Lord. So if you tithe, notice this now, tithing teaches you how to worship. Did you hear that? Tithing teaches you how to worship. That's the first part. So, so, um, you, some people say, well, I worship by tithing. That's not necessarily biblical as well. It's a part of worship in that in tithing, it teaches you how to worship. It's, it's a two-way thing. Tithing actually teaches you how to worship. I have not seen a person who regularly tithes and doesn't worship when they tithe out of worship and out of the love of God, not out of compliance, not out of compliance, not out of compulsion. Actually, there's no blessing. If Let me just say this real quick. If you're tithing, I've been on this tithing thing for too long and I have one more point to get, but if if you're tithing at your church, there's some people who, who aren't even Christian here. This don't even apply to you because you obviously don't tithe to a church. So don't worry about that. There are people here who are atheists, who are listening to this. Hopefully it's helpful to you because 
you know, you can see what it means to live out the Christian life. But there are those of you who grew up in church and left church because you saw what happened, how, how toxic the way pastors and the way churches have administered tithing. And so that's made you feel jaded because something just doesn't feel right about it. And you know, there's some truth to it. But I'll say this to those of you who are here, and maybe this will be a blessing to you and helpful to you. If you're tithing right now or giving at all to your church, if you're giving to your church, because there's people who are members of their churches, if you're giving to your church because you're afraid of being punished by God, if you don't give, stop giving. If, if you are afraid to give because you are afraid that this, you know, you're going to go to heaven or hell. I came to deliver you today. You will not go to hell because you didn't tithe and you're not going to go to heaven because you do. If you're giving and you will not be blessed if you're giving out of fear. Scriptures tell us that if you're giving out of compulsion, you haven't learned to give yet. And therefore there's no blessing in it. Oh man. I remember, uh, early on in my ministry, when I learned this principle of tithing, I made a horrible financial decision in my ministry. I told my church, <laughs> I told my community, my wife will remember, maybe Berlin will probably remember as well. I came up there one day, we were doing giving talks and, you know, giving it shall be given unto you. And I just stopped. I said, church, I learned something about the, the word of God today. And I want to share with all of you. If any of you are giving because you want to go to heaven or because you're afraid, you need to stop giving now. There's no blessing in it. God does not bless a giver out of compulsion. If, you f if you're feeling pressure to give, you don't know how to give yet. So don't give because there's no blessing in it. And I care more about your soul than I care about your pocket. So your pocket's getting smaller, but they're getting no blessing out of it because you're not giving cheerfully. You're giving out of compulsion. So you actually don't know how to give yet. And it's not a matter, and it's not a, I don't want you to feel, you know, guilted into this, but you just don't know how to do it yet. But one day you're going to grow in your maturity and you're going to want to give out of the generosity of God. But right now you're not ready to do that. And so if you're not ready to do that, don't give, be free today. Do not ever come to church on Sunday and feel pressure to give. Don't ever come to a service and feel pressure to give. Like if I don't give, God going to judge me for it. No, we don't give out of compulsion and you didn't give cheerfully. Therefore, there was no blessing in it. There's nowhere in the Bible where you go to hell for not giving. <laughs> oh, man. It was one of the worst financial decisions that we made as a church because giving dropped by 50%. Giving at my church dropped by 50%. In a lot of ways, my church never recovered. <laughs> a lot of ways we never recovered financially. But we set a lot of people free because now the people who give, they're blessed in the giving. 
because they're not giving out of compulsion. They're giving out of the love and the generosity of God. Do you understand? Do you understand? So me, I'm not too worried about the dollars in my church. I'm more concerned about people's souls. Who cares if I can't build big structures and build buildings and all that? I care about your soul more than I care about your dollar in your pocket. So, um, and, and, and that's to say that to anyone who, whatever church you're going to or whatever, if they're, if they're going to guilt you into giving, you're not free yet. Therefore, don't give because there's no blessing. If in your heart you feel something that doesn't feel right, there's no blessing in it for you. Now, there could be a blessing for others. Your giving will bless some people. No matter what, if you give out of compulsion or not out of compulsion, your giving will change somebody's life. That always happens. It's going to do something. It's going to change someone's life. It's going to affect change. It's just that the primary purpose for tithing, notice here, it starts with you. Tithing is for your own heart. It says here that you will learn to fear the Lord your God always. I, You know, I just realized, babe, are you on here? I don't know if my wife is on here. I just realized I have not done a tithing teaching at my own church. <laughs> I'm doing it right here on TikTok. <laughs> I'm doing a tithing teaching. I've done a little bit here and there, but I've never done a full breath tithing teaching um, at my church. Uh, we've taught, we teach, we teach about giving and we're always telling people, if you're not ready to give, don't do not feel any pressure. Okay. If you're not ready to give, don't please. All right. Jesus is way bigger than that. Okay. And, but then out of, but then when, when, when Jesus does something in your heart, when you begin to learn worship, then you naturally give. So anyway, that's my long, long drawn out rant on that. But notice as well, as well, notice that when, when they gave, notice where the giving went to. See, the giving here did not go to the building fund at your church. It didn't go to building structures. It didn't go. It was, it actually went to help those who were poor and in need. So most of the giving went to, 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 to support the, the Levites, who were the priests, the pastors. And for most people, I've, I've said that, I'm sorry if I'm all over the place. Um, go Legendary said something that's really powerful. I would encourage you, whatever church you go to, okay, do this at your church. Um, do this at your church. Don't even tell your pastor. Okay. If you don't attend a church, find a church nearby or find a church that's a blessing to you. Find a community that's a blessing that has been a blessing to you to learn this principle. Do a 90 day tithing challenge. Like literally tithe. I've challenged people with that. Tithe for 90 days. If you are less blessed after tithing for 90 days, you can stop. Don't do it again. Did you hear me? Tithe for 90 days, wherever you are, tithe, because it changes your life. It transforms your life. But anyway, that's another conversation. I'll, I'll do a full teaching on tithing. I don't want to do all that here, but I will say this though, is notice the purpose of the tithe. The result of it was, is once it changed the person's heart that's tithing, that the person 
learned, look what it says, right? The person learns the fear of the Lord, learns to worship God, right? Then notice what happens. Verse 25, then you shall exchange it for money. Oh, sorry. Also, people say that, uh, this side note, man, this sounds like a Bible study more than anything. This is why it's, it's always kind of crazy when you don't prep anything because then you're just all over the place. But stay with me, fam. I hope this is a blessing. Either way, it's a rant. I told you that ahead of time. It's a rant. Hope it's a blessing to you. But um, if you also notice here, it talks about, because some, sometimes people have argued that, well, it, it, it was only grain. It was only wine. It was only oil. It was only... It, you know, it was herd and cattle, but it was never money. That's not true as well. I want to make sure I clarify that because in verse 25, he says, if you're on a journey for too long, right, then exchange all those things that you've tithed for money, meaning take the 10, take the dollar value of your output and take 10% of it. He's saying, if you, if you can't carry goat, cattle and sheep and all of that, then turn it into dollars, and go go about your way with the dollars. So that's all to say that um, the the scriptures also, also talk about it being exchanged into money. So anybody who makes that argument, you, you might have been told that. Just want you to know that whoever says that to you hasn't fully um, they don't they don't fully understand right that principle. Okay. So so now in verse twenty seven, you shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gates, for he has no part nor inheritance with you. The tithe was intended for who? And you shall spend that money for whatever your hearts desire, for oxen, for sheep, for wine, for similar, wherever you go, let exchange that money for the Levite. And notice what it says in verse 20, verse 29, for the Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance. Those are those who serve in the ministry who cannot hold a job full time because they spend all their time in ministry for the Levite. Notice who else? The stranger, the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates, that they may come and eat and be satisfied that you, the Lord your God may bless you in all your work of your hand, which you do. Here's the unfortunate reality. If we look at church budgets today, do they embody the justice of God? God, what he's doing is he's showing how his kingdom is run. He's showing how his government is run. He's talking about justice here, family. If there's anything you get today, because there's a lot that I've said and there's a lot more that I want to say and I'm just out of time. I'm out of gas. But if there's anything that you get today, family, is that practicing justice is worship seeking justice is worship seeking economic justice is worship that's what he's showing us here the way we worship God is to seek justice worshiping God is not simply a good prayer a good word and showing up to church on Sunday and listening to good music and getting a message and being you know in the presence of God and all all that is good and all but that's not fully worship to worship God is to give generously that's how you worship to worship God is to seek the welfare 
of the fatherless, of the, look at it, the widow, of the stranger, the least of these. That's what worship looks like. Do you see that? That's what worship looks like. In Deuteronomy 18, it tells us how we administrate the tithe. First of all, before we get to that, in, in Deuteronomy 15, verse 1, it says, at the end of seven years, you grant a release of debts. This is how they worshiped. This is how God wants to rule the earth. If somebody owes you something after seven years, release it. Financial debt released. It didn't matter what your balance was in those days. It didn't matter what your mortgage was, how high your credit card bill was, whatever it was. After seven years, you are released of the debt. And when you're released of the debt, it's not even counted against you. It's where we see the principles that we see for bankruptcy law, by the way. A lot of our legal systems are built around the scriptures, just so you understand that. You know, seven years, after seven years of being in default, you know, or you can file for bankruptcy. And if you file for bankruptcy after seven years, your, your bankruptcy is being removed from your credit. All that, all, all that really comes from that principle. But notice this. The person owes you, they didn't pay a penalty for not paying you back. After seven years, whatever they owed you, they're freed from. This is what the justice of God looks like. This is what it looks like to rule. This is what it looks like to live as the chosen people of God. Verse four, he says, he says, he says, when there may be no poor among you for the Lord will greatly bless you in the land, which the Lord has given you to possess as an inheritance. He's saying this, he's saying, even for every creditor outside, you can hold them accountable, except when there isn't, when there may be no poor among you. He's saying the goal is to eradicate poverty in your nation. Verse seven, if there's anyone, a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land, which the Lord, your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor shut your hand from your poor brother. So not only did they tithe to the storehouse, but they saw anyone who was poor, they opened their hands to them. These are all, these are foreign ideas because for many we give when we know what somebody's going to do with the money. But he says, do not shut your hand from your poor brother. Verse 10, you shall surely give to him and your heart will not be grieved when you give to him because of this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and all to which you put your hand. This is justice. Jubilee is even bigger than that, Lady Edwina. Um, we talked about the Jubilee maybe like two weeks ago, um, but that's in part related to that. Yes. The Jubilee is another year that's set aside to, to, to clear out debts for the entire year. You shall surely give to him. And then verse 11, for the poor will never cease from the land. Watch this. Therefore, I command you saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and the needy in your land. This is a system that God's developing. He's creating a system of, ju- of justice. For those who are bond servants, those are the ones who, who are working as indentured servants. The seventh year, he shall go free. Again, related to the Jubilee. He shall go free from you unless he asks to stay. 
Then we see the Passover, the law of the Passover, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Tabernacles. All these things were reminders of what he had already instituted. Moses already gave these laws to the prior generation. He's now reminding the new generation of these laws because when they go into the land that is promised to them, this is how God expected them to rule. And then and then in 18, you shall appoint judges and officers in all your gates, which the Lord your God gives you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality or nor take a bribe for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. I just don't have the time. And maybe I'll come into some of this later on, but I hope you are hearing this real quick. God cares about justice. God profoundly cares about justice and knows what justice looks like. It's not just justice over racism. It's justice over economic oppression. It's justice over any type of of stratification or categorization of people. He's talking about, he's talking about that. He says, you will not pervert it. Meaning don't ever put your form of justice on top of my justice. My justice does not align with the justice of the rest of the world. The way that he called the Hebrews to live looked fundamentally different than the way he called others to live. He said, don't put your justice on top of mine. Don't put your politics and make justice about politics. You know, it's our justice that causes us to quote verses that don't actually exist in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. That's, that's not even a verse in the Bible. But we make up these verses because that makes sense to us. God helps those who help themselves. And yet no one in the scripture doesn't say that. Matter of fact, everyone in the scripture shows us the opposite. You don't wait for them to help this, themselves. Actually, God wants you to help the helpless. <laughs> he wants you to father the fatherless. Last point, and then I'm done. Verse 7 in Deuteronomy 17. If there is found among you within any of your gates, which the Lord your God gives you, a man or a woman who has been wicked in the sight of the Lord your God in transgressing his covenant. We have made wickedness evil. When we say someone's wicked, we make wickedness and evil synonymous. It's my last point. I'm closing. I'm closing it. See, I just closed my Bible. We make wickedness and evil synonymous. Did you hear me? And because we've made wickedness and evil synonymous, we don't like being referred to as wicked people. Because if I call you a wicked person, I'm calling you an evil person. The scriptures don't define wickedness this way. And we're going to read it all throughout the scripture. Wickedness was not defined as evil. Wickedness was simply defined as people who would not obey the covenant. People who did not live by the covenantal law. 
was considered wicked. You know there are good people who are wicked? There are really good people who are wicked. You say, wait, how are they wicked? They're wicked because even though they're good, they have their own form of justice. They have their own legal system. They have their own way that they see what is right and wrong in the world. They've defined their version and their form of right and wrong. But God is making it very clear that wickedness is simply disobedience to God's law. He's saying if anybody doesn't tithe, they're wicked. They're not evil. They're not bad people. They're just not those who exercise the justice of God. For those who see the homeless and see the fatherless, but don't do anything towards that. Those who see the mission of God and the kingdom of God, but do nothing to contribute to it. Those who seek to just take from it, but never put into it. He's calling those people wicked. I know this is tough. This is where it gets tough. And yet that's what he's saying here. And then he refers to those who also go and worship other gods, the sun and the moon. And so if there's anything you leave with today, we don't do any of this for righteousness. Okay. We don't do any of this. And I know we're still leaving. We're still in attention because we haven't even gotten to the fact that Christ has accomplished all of this for us. So it's actually now not how we ought to live to be chosen, but it's actually out of God choosing us that we get the privilege to live this way. Do you understand that living in a way that brings the kingdom of God is a privilege that God gives you by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Christ has accomplished it for us. And because Christ has accomplished it for us, we don't live out of God's acceptance. We don't tie so God can accept. Christ has already paid the price for us. But out of his love, we ought to live. Out of his grace, we begin to live. The grace is what influences us in how we live. What does that look like? Justice is worship. If you live, if you live with anything, if, if there's anything, because I said a lot, there was a lot that I said here. If you leave with anything today, tithing and justice equals worship. It's worship. It's not compliance. It's not following the law. It's worship. In our community, uh, we have an online church, an online community. And this is what we always say. And I hope you guys will remember this and I'll make it a mantra here. We make it a mantra at our, at our church, which is an online community. We have people from all over. Hey, I'm going to set up the badges real soon because I just found out about it. I just learned about it. So I don't know how to do it yet. So I'm going to figure it out. So stick with me and we'll get that figured out. But there's one thing that we say. One of the mantras at the font is at the font is generosity 
is our response. We're not generous to go to heaven. We're not generous to be good people. We're generous out of the generosity of God. We're generous because we're responding to God's generosity to us. We're generous because we're responding to God's love to us. I want to live a certain way because God gave his life for me. I'm not doing it so that, so that I can, you know, be seen as a good person. I do it because man, Jesus has been so good to me. He's been so good to me. When somebody does something so good to you, all you want to do is show your gratitude and appreciation. When God does something so good to you, you want to live him out in your life. When, when you finally live out the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in your life, you want to be a blessing to others. You want to help others. You want to speak for the fatherless. You want to speak for the widow. The reality is, is for many of us, we have yet to have accepted that. But if we accept that out of that, out of God's acceptance, man, we live. It's in him we live and have our being. I love you, fam. Worship, justice. <laughs> justice, worship. Economic justice, social justice, political justice, Every form of justice should embody the character of God. Blessings, fam. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you have led us, that you've been with us, Lord, throughout our time here together. Lord, I just thank you that you are with us, that you speak to us, that you convict us, that you correct us, that you inspire us, that you empower us, that you enamor us, Lord, with your love and your grace. And so, Father, as we stand before you right now, I just pray that we would be led by your spirit, Father. Guide us. Lord, lead us today. Lord, show us your way, Father. Show us how we ought to live, Lord, Father. Live through us. Lord, embody us, Lord, that those who come around us will see the kingdom of God within us, Lord, that they would see you in us. For you have said in your word, it is Christ that is in us, the hope of glory. So let's bring hope everywhere we go. Let's bring faith everywhere we go. Let's Bring, Lord, your grace everywhere we go. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen. And